Do you remember in the Sermon on the Mount when Jesus is talking about how the Lord will provide for our food and our clothing, and he, he compares our lives to uh, the, the daisies of the field and the, the sparrows, the, the birds of the air, that kind of thing. And he says, seek first, above all those things, seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness. Remember that? What does that mean to seek his kingdom first, to seek it above everything else? In, in modern days, we use words like Christ-centered and gospel-centered uh, very frequently. And sometimes I wonder, do we really live that way? We can call ourselves gospel-centered. We can call our churches gospel-centered. But what does that really mean? What does that look like? And is that a true description of us? Well, in our passage today, as we continue to study the book of Philippians, the Apostle Paul is going to challenge us. Uh, he was gospel-centered and Christ-centered like nobody uh, since his time, I don't believe. And it will provide us with, uh, with some conviction, both in the sense of maybe feeling a little bit guilty, but also hopefully the passion to move forward. Welcome, everybody. Hello, my name is Doug, and we gather here every day, Monday through Friday, 7.30 a.m. Mountain Time. And we study the Word of God together. So I'm glad you have joined us. Whether you're on Facebook, welcome. Uh, YouTube, welcome. Twitter. Uh, if you're on Facebook or YouTube, feel free to chat and uh, ask questions. Uh, good morning, Jenny. I see uh, she's already uh, commented here. Feel free to do that. I can see those uh, comments and uh, we can interact that way uh, together. Before we get into the study, though, I just want to remind you, today's a good day. This day, this Thursday, today is a good day. Don't listen to the other voices in your head. And I know there probably are some. Don't listen to them. Today's a good day. It doesn't mean it's an easy day. It doesn't mean that everything is going to go your way. It doesn't mean that uh, there won't be some challenges today. But it is still a good day. Because in Christ, we know our sins are forgiven we have the hope of eternal life. Our Lord Jesus gave his life for us. That's a good day. And it's Christmas time. It's the, it's the time of year when we celebrate not just, uh, you know, trees and, and gifts and ornaments and colors and, and all that, which is all fine. But we celebrate the birth of the one who came to give himself for us. So today is a good day. So let's declare that together. I'll say my part and then you say your part. You ready? Today is the day the Lord has made. Yes, we will rejoice and be glad in it. All right, so let's get into our study of Philippians, and we're going to pick up in chapter 1 and verse uh, 12 here. Whoops. <laughs> verse 12, which says, Now I want you to know, brethren that my circumstances have turned out for the greater progress of the gospel. So before we go any further, we need to understand what is he talking about when he says, my circumstances. Remember, Paul is writing this letter to this church in Philippi that he started some 10, ten years ago. And they obviously care much about Paul. We'll see that as we go through the letter. And, uh, and he cares deeply for, for them. And he's letting them know what's happening. This is sort of a, a missionary letter. Uh, if you contribute to missions, or maybe you are a missionary, uh, you know that it's important to, 
to hear from our missionaries. We want to know what's happening with them. And if we hear that there's something going on that may be uh, difficult, we want to know that so we can pray and that kind of thing. So there's been some correspondence between Paul and this church in Philippi. Epaphroditus has, uh, has been there and, and brought that communication back and forth. So he's giving them an update. Now remember, he is writing this letter from jail. Paul's in jail, most likely in Rome. So here's what has transpired to this point. Paul was previously, several years ago, in Jerusalem. And while he was there, the Jews turned on him. Uh, They wanted him out of their hair. He was a thorn in their side. uh, Paul was going around proclaiming that Jesus was the Messiah and that Jesus had come to uh, to release the Jews from the old covenant. The old covenant was over and the law was over. The law was fulfilled in Jesus. And now all men everywhere, they don't need to become Jews. They don't need to be circumcised. They don't need to fulfill or, or obey the law of Moses. Now they serve Christ. And, and Paul had taught that. He'd gone to city after city after city and proclaimed that Jesus is Lord, Jesus is King, Jesus is the Savior, Jesus is the Messiah that the Jews had been waiting for. And you don't have to keep the old covenant law. And the Jews, the the leaders of the Jews, hated that because their power and their pocketbooks were both deeply bound up in the law of Moses. And so... Jews who would turn from the law to serve Jesus were turning from the Pharisees and the Sadducees and the chief priests. And it was costing these Jewish leaders big time. So Paul was pretty much public enemy number one to the Jews. So Paul goes to Jerusalem and they set him up. The Jews set him up and they cause all kinds of commotion. They they basically arrest him even though they didn't have political authority. And they're beating him, and they want to put him to death. But of course, uh, just like we found with Jesus, they didn't have the uh, the authority to do that. Anyway, they are persecuting him, and this arouses the interest of the Roman soldiers. You may remember the, the Pax Romana, the Peace of Rome. It was a, a high crime to cause great dissension in any of the Roman areas. And so the uh, the Roman officials are called down, and, and they break it all up, and they're dragging Paul. They, they realize Paul is the one kind of at the center of this controversy. And they grab Paul and they're going to uh, put him in containment and uh, interview him and interrogate him, really. And he asks them a question in Greek. Well, this astounds the Romans. They didn't know that he could speak Greek. They thought he was just a, a Jew uh, who maybe spoke Hebrew. And, uh, and so they give him the permission. He's on the steps, it says, of the barracks. And they give him permission to speak to these Jews who have been scourging him, who've been beating him. And what does Paul do in that moment? He preaches the gospel. He takes this opportunity when everybody quiets down and he preaches the gospel to these Jews who want to throw him in prison or, or worse. And they're listening. And the Romans are listening. Until Paul gets to the point where he describes meeting Jesus alive and says that Jesus has sent him to preach to the Gentiles. At that point, the Jews have had enough and they are in an uproar again. What do you mean? Because 
because the Jews, remember, hated the Gentiles. They, it, they would be okay if the Gentiles became Jews, but the Gentiles were considered dogs. They were considered the, the outcasts. And so when Paul says, I've come on behalf of the Messiah to preach truth to the Gentiles, the Jews couldn't handle that anymore. So they go into an uproar again, and, uh, and, the, and Paul has to be kind of whisked away. Well, he's freed, but the Romans want to figure out why are the Jews so worked up about this guy. So they send him to Caesarea. And they invite the Jews to come down, the high priests and so on, to come down uh, and and make their case why they were so upset with uh, Paul. Well, this goes on for week after week after week. And then there's some transition in the leadership of the Roman uh, officials and a couple of years or so. And Paul finds himself again with the opportunity to speak to a large gathering of people to give his defense as to why these Jews are so upset with him. And Paul, again, in the face of uh, what could be arrest and an indictment and, and uh, you know, an, uh, a guilty verdict, he preaches the gospel and causes all this stir between the Jews and the, and the Romans again, and especially the Jews. And finally, he realizes this is going nowhere. And he appeals to Caesar now, as a Roman citizen, he had the right to appeal to Caesar, and once he did that, then the officials were obligated to send him to Rome to get a hearing before the emperor himself. Now, we read that, this is all in Acts, by the way, and we read these accounts in Acts starting in, a, in about chapter 21, 22, somewhere in there, and we think that Paul was using a very clever way to get out of this predicament with the uh, Roman and, and uh, Jewish officials to get, get to escape that and go to Rome. But that's not what he was doing. Back in, uh, I believe it's at the end of chapter one, uh, chapter 21 of, uh, uh, of Acts. Let me see if I pulled it up. Oh, I did pull it up here. So it's at, at the uh, end of verse 23. I'll show you. Uh, in the midst of all this, Jesus appears to Paul. Look at this. But on the night immediately following, the Lord stood at his side. So this is Jesus at the side of Paul during all this. And here's what the Lord said to him. Take courage, for as, my, as you have solemnly witnessed to my cause at Jerusalem, you must also witness at Rome. So Jesus had told Paul, you are going to be my witness at Rome. So Paul is waiting to get to Rome. He's trying to get to Rome. And all this is going on for the next couple of years or so in the battle between the Romans and the Jews and Caesarea and waiting and waiting and waiting. So finally, as things come to uh, what seems like a, a standstill, he's never going to be able to get out of here. He appeals to Caesar, which I'm convinced was, again, not a clever trick to get out of his predicament, but he knew he had to get to Rome. So he appeals to Caesar and he knows that the Roman officials have to send him to Rome. So they do. And if you know the story through the rest of Acts, uh, he, you know, he gets put on a ship and the, the ship is going to meet some nasty weather. And he tells everybody, uh, hang tight, don't throw your stuff overboard, don't do all this. And they ignore him. And finally, the ship is, is ruined and, and it's shipwrecked and just all of this crazy stuff. He, he goes through a lot of hard times on his way to Rome. And then he finally makes it to Rome but he's not there going as a free missionary. He's in chains. 
and he gets sent to a, a jailhouse of some sort um, in the in the maybe in the palace or near the palace. And he is bound in literal chains, and he's completely dependent upon uh, Christians, friends, bringing him food and taking care of him. Because the way the system worked there, the the there was no penal system where you know you pay taxes and provide for the uh, the prisoners. He was dependent on others, and sure enough, Christians in Rome came to help him. So those are the circumstances. He's riding from Rome from the prison. And he is wanting the Philippians to know that that he's okay. And this is what he said. I want you to know, brethren, that my circumstances, <laughs> these things that I've been through, have turned out for the greater progress of the gospel. Well, how's that? How is all this struggle with the first the Jews, then the Romans, and now being in prison for, for a long period of time, years, how has that turned out for the greater progress of the gospel? Well, he says, so that my imprisonment, or literally my chains in the cause of Christ, has become well known throughout the whole Praetorian Guard. Isn't that amazing? So Paul is chained up, sometimes chained to a wall, but oftentimes the, the guards, these were the, the specific, there were 9,000 guards of Caesar. And they would rotate through every four hours and they would often be chained to the prisoner himself. So think about that for a minute. (laughs) You are the guard assigned to this guy, Paul, and you're chained to him or you have to stand guard as he is chained to the wall in the prison cell. Who's the captive here? (laughs) Paul's captive to the Roman system But these guards are basically captive to Paul. They can't go anywhere. They're on duty. Paul has four hours at a time to preach the gospel to these guards. And you know how it goes. These guys are here. What are you in for? What are you? You're waiting to talk to Caesar. What, What for? And Paul says, I'm glad you asked. See, there's this man from Nazareth or Bethlehem and he was executed in Jerusalem. The Jews killed him, but he came back to life and I've talked to him and come to find out this man who died and who came back to life is the son of God. And he was sinless and perfect. And he was a king promised to come to release all the captives and to give sight to the blind. And he did that. He actually touched people's eyes and made these blind people to see. And he raised people who were lame, who were lying there on a, on a cot. And he told them to get up and walk. And these men and women who had been lame all of their lives, suddenly they got up and walked. And he allowed people who were deaf to hear. And he even raised another man from the dead, a man who had been in a tomb for four days. And I met that man and he did all kinds of miracles. And he convinced me, convinced lots of people that he is the son of God. And he rose from the grave and he ascended into heaven and he's now ruling over heaven and earth. And someday he's coming back and every one of us, me and you and every man or woman who's ever lived, will stand before him and give an account. And he said, everyone who believes in him and who worships him 
will have eternal life. <laughs> now, can you imagine? You're bound to Paul for hours at a time. And Paul's like, I have free reign here to say whatever I want to. You have to listen to me. Here's the good news of Jesus Christ. One after another after another of these guards hear the gospel. And then they share with others. They share with others. Hey, this, there's this crazy man in, in cell eight that is preaching this stuff about some dead man who came back to life. We have no doubt that some of them believe that God opened their eyes through this ministry of Paul. And Paul is saying to the Philippians, hey, I know you're worried about me and it's been no cakewalk, but I want you to know, right? That's what he says. I want you to know here that my circumstances have turned out for the greater progress of the gospel because in my imprisonment, Christ has become well known throughout the whole Praetorian Guard. Now, if you were in prison for the sake and the cause of Christ, would that be your greatest concern? Is, would that be the message you want your supporters to hear? People are coming to faith here. People are hearing the gospel here. I hope so. I hope that would be our primary concern. I hope it wouldn't be, oh, woe is me. Paul didn't have a woe is me attitude. He's like, I have a captive audience. I'm going to preach. He says it's also the gospel has become known to everyone else. He's been preaching. Remember, uh, in the end of Acts, we find out that many people have come to see Paul in prison. Jews have come. Gentiles have come. And he preaches the gospel. That's what he does over and over again. And it gets even more interesting. He says that most of the brethren, trusting in the Lord because of my imprisonment, have far more courage to speak the word of God without fear. Paul is rejoicing here that because he's in jail, there are Christians, both in Rome and everywhere else, who now have more courage. How does that work? Well, you know how it is. Think about recently as the U.S. has pulled out of Afghanistan. And politically, that's a disaster. And there's a lot of reason to, to think that this was really done poorly by our our administration, and it just could have been done so much more effectively. Whether you think we should stay in Afghanistan or not is, is not really the point. Pretty much everyone agrees this was done poorly. But for the church, we continue to hear more and more um, stories of how the persecution is ramping up, and our brothers and sisters are in harm's way there in Afghanistan and other areas in that part of the world. And it's, it's sad, it's hard to hear. But as we hear stories and we hear of people who are, are basically said, you know, called to declare Christ, I'm sorry, to renounce Christ or else be killed, we hear of our brothers and sisters standing firm and saying, take my life if you will, I'm a Christian. We're emboldened. It makes us look at the persecution that we experience here in America and other free parts of the world where we say, I can handle this opposition. I can handle being canceled on Twitter. I can, I can handle somebody think I'm a crazy person because we have brothers and sisters who are standing firm at risk of their lives in other parts of the world. We, we read historic story, stories, the, uh, you know, the, the martyrs of old, and we read how they stood firm. We read of Jim Elliott and the others in the, in the 50s, I think it was, who, uh, who were killed as they went into this, uh, this remote tribe. Uh, those kind of testimonies, they give us courage. 
And that's what Paul is saying is now these, these other Christians are, are willing to speak the word of God without fear because they hear Paul is doing it and it's costing him everything. And if he can do it, I can do it too. Then we read something that I just find absolutely remarkable. He says of these people who are preaching the gospel, some to be sure are preaching Christ even from envy and strife. Some also from goodwill. So there are people preaching Christ all over the place. Some are doing it from envy and strife. What does he mean? Well, let's go on. The latter, that is those who preach from goodwill, they preach out of love. They love the Lord. They love other Christians. They want people to come to faith. So they're preaching out of love. And they say, these people know that I'm appointed for the defense of the gospel. So they are happy to be associated with Paul and Paul's gospel of Jesus Christ. And so out of love for Jesus, out of love for Paul, they preach the gospel. But you see what's going on here. There is an association between Paul and the gospel and the persecution. And these people say, yeah, I'm on that team. I'm on team Paul because I'm on team Jesus. And I recognize that Paul is in jail because he's defending the gospel. And I am not ashamed to be associated with Paul and what he preaches. But this other group, the group that preached out of envy and strife or rivalry, he says, they, the former, they proclaim Christ out of selfish ambition rather than from pure motives, thinking to cause me distress in my imprisonment. Can you fathom that? There are people who are preaching Christ not because they care about the gospel so much, but because they're hoping to cause Paul trouble. That's hard for me to wrap my head around. These people are so jealous of Paul's ministry that they think if they preach the gospel... That'll turn up the heat on Paul. Now, they're clearly preaching the true gospel. Paul says, uh, he's going to go on and say, I don't care what their motive is. Well, let me, let me just show you that. <laughs> right? He says, what then? How do we respond to that? Only that in every way, whether in pretense or in truth, Christ is proclaimed. And in this I rejoice. So they're preaching the true gospel. We know what Paul thinks of people who preach a false gospel. He told the Galatians, if I or anybody else, even an angel from heaven comes and preaches a false gospel to you, if they distort the message of Jesus, he didn't say, well, I don't care about that. He says, no, let them be anathema. A pretty fair English translation would be, let them be damned. So he doesn't tolerate for a minute someone preaching a false gospel. So these people are preaching the true gospel, but it's their motives that are messed up. They're not preaching primarily so that people will come to faith in Jesus. They are preaching the gospel, hoping it'll cause Paul distress. Who does that? What does that mean? Are they thinking that maybe that if we continue to preach the truth about Jesus and associate it with Paul and say, and you know, Paul's in prison for this, that people in Rome or elsewhere will 
will hurt Paul. Maybe they'll stop supporting him. Maybe they won't bring him food. Maybe people in other churches will stop providing money for him. Uh, we don't know the circumstances exactly. But somehow or other, he's, uh, these people are convinced that they can do harm to Paul by preaching Christ. What do we do with that? I, it really is difficult for me to think that someone could be so bitter and so jealous that they would preach truth primarily because they hope it'll cause this great evangelist to suffer. Uh, it's, it's crazy. And what does Paul do with that? Have you ever had people lie about you, slander you, uh, hoping to cause you trouble in your, in your devotion to Christ? Um, I've been there. Maybe you've been there. Certainly lots of church leaders and Christians have been there. What do we do with that? What's our, what's our attitude? Well, Paul's attitude is simply astounding to me. Here's what he says. I'll read it again. What then? What about this situation? He says, only this, that in every way, whether in pretense or in truth, Christ is proclaimed. And in this I rejoice. Imagine, he, he doesn't care if this causes him more trouble. He doesn't care if this brings more persecution. He doesn't even really care what the motives of these people are. If they are preaching the truth of Christ, that's all that matters to him. That's all that matters to him. So what about us? Uh, that's, a, that's a pretty convicting uh, example by Paul. What about you? You know, when we read those words, seek first the kingdom, I think, hmm, what does that really look like? Well, we are not, most of us at least, are not called to be like Paul. We're not in that situation. And right now, we're not persecuted in the way that Paul was. Maybe, maybe there are some listening to this that uh, are in harm's way more so than those of us in the U.S. or, or Europe or um, Africa. We, uh, we have some brothers there. But as you think about your life and, and you think about you are devoted to Jesus, you call him Lord, would you give your life for him? I mean, really, if people showed up to your door, put a gun to your head and said, renounce Christ or I will take your life, would you do that? Would you respond to people who are trying to hurt you? And say, well, if they are proclaiming Christ, then let them do whatever they want to to me. I'm just, I, I'm challenged by this man, Paul. Every opportunity, he's he's going to be tossed in jail in Jerusalem. He does make it in the, to the prison in, in Rome. And everywhere he goes, every opportunity, he preaches Christ. He preaches the gospel. He doesn't really care the impact it has on him. He doesn't really care what people think of him. He's just hoping. There's the one account in Acts where he's he's before King Agrippa, who knew something about Jewishness, and he knew he knew something about the Old Testament scriptures, and he's right there again in front of this whole group of people, and they're cynics, and and they're just intrigued by this this Jew, and he says, King Agrippa, you know the stories, Jesus is the Messiah, and if you remember Agrippa's response is, uh, I think it's Agrippa, 
now that I say this, I'm trying to remember if it's him or Felix or Festus. Anyway, it's one of these Roman officials uh, who has some Jewish background. And he says, uh, Paul, you're out of your mind. Your great learning has made you crazy that you really think this man has come back from the dead. And Paul says, well, I don't care if you think I'm crazy. It's true. So are we Christ-centered? Are we gospel-centered? Uh, this is challenging. This is challenging stuff. I don't know. Uh, we're getting close to the end here, but if you have comments, thoughts, or questions, uh, I'll give you a moment here to, to formulate those and put them uh, in the chat here if you'd like. But as we're going through this day, this day that for most of us, uh, we're not experiencing anything like the suffering of Paul. We're not being faced with imprisonment yet. It could come. There are signs that uh, there's, a, there's a movement going on worldwide that is really turning up the heat against uh, the Christian worldview. Now, I, as I told you, I'm pretty optimistic, and I think uh, our Lord is on his throne, and um, I'm hopeful that that is not the end that he has in mind for us, but I'm not a prophet here, so don't, <laughs> don't take my prediction as anything. But as I study the scripture and look around, I think I could see how this could also turn out um, for the further advance of the gospel and, and not mean it's going to be destructive of Christians. But it could be. We just don't know. And certainly in parts of the world, we know that that is happening and will, will continue to happen. Um, but most of us are not in a situation where we are faced with significant persecution right now. So we're sort of at ease, right? We've got it fairly comfortable. So how do we stand firm like the Apostle Paul and hold fast to the gospel and preach the gospel and say, you know, his kingdom is what matters. Remember we talked yesterday about praying, your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Well, that's not just a prayer for us, but we need to actively pursue it. How do we do that? And, uh, and not get caught up in, in tangential things. Well, I think Paul's a great example. And like I said at the beginning, he can be pretty convicting in, in both senses of the word. We can be convicted that, yeah, we just maybe don't have the same courage and devotion that Paul did. But it can also give us convictions to be like Paul and stand firm for Christ as he did. And uh, we will receive the crown of life, the crown of glory if we do. So as you go about your day this uh this Thursday, live faithfully for Jesus. Be Christ-centered. Be gospel-centered. And don't worry about your reputation. Don't worry about what other people think of you. Um, stand firm. Hold fast to Christ. Preach Him. Proclaim Him. And let that motivate you today. And uh, we know that if we do that, the Lord is pleased. And someday, He will come and bless us. And He will take care of our enemies. We can be sure of that. Paul knew that. So have a great day, grace and peace to you in the name of the Lord Jesus, and we'll see you again tomorrow morning. God bless.